Good morning, church family. Luke 18, 18 to 30 is our text this morning. Uh, would someone shout out a page number when they get there? 1631. Thanks, Ron. If you were here last week, you would have had the treat of listening to our intern, Jalisa, preach her very first sermon in which she preached on the two sections before this, and we heard two different approaches to the Lord in prayer. The Pharisee or the religious leader that told God all about how good he was and thanked God that he wasn't like this miserable tax collector over here and a tax collector who wouldn't come close, who beat his own chest and said, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And um, we heard about the approach that God hears, the humility that it requires to come into God's presence and leave his presence justified, welcomed, made right. And then the Lord um, Jesus said to his disciples who were trying to maintain crowd control and keep the babies away, he said, actually, if you want to come into my kingdom, you need to come like one of these helpless ones. This kind of coming with nothing to bring me is what it requires to receive the benefits that I offer as I call you to follow me. And it's on the heels of that that we then hear this. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters, or parents, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Amen.
So about seven years ago, uh, maybe seven in a little bit, when Anne and I were shortly back from China, we had Peter and Sarah, and then Matthew and Rachel were born, and um, here we had four, four young children, and our friends who lived in Mongolia had six kids, and they came to visit us, and they camped in our basement, and we spent a lovely evening together, and as a part of that evening, the Duffers shared with us that um, their health, they, weren't, they didn't have health insurance. And so what do you have? Well, we participate in this Christian healthcare cost sharing network called Samaritan Ministries, where you commit to paying a regular share per month, and instead of sending it to a company, they tell you who to send it to, and you send it to another Christian, whether that person lives in the United States or another part of the world. And we said, well, that sounds really interesting and neat, and kind of smiled. And then about three or four months later, we found ourselves having to talk about insurance options because ours was becoming way too expensive and we were beginning a position here at Gold Avenue Church and there needed to be another option and we started to talk about might our family switch to this healthcare cost sharing network and as we did that some people in our lives started to say to us well you know that's not insurance so like how high does that coverage go and um and well, it went to 250000 but there was another level you could do if you wanted to save some more. And, and well, how high does that go? Well, I'm not quite sure. Well, you should research that. So I started researching it. And um, they didn't have an exact answer because their need uh, pool hadn't been dried up and they hadn't, they hadn't had to supply beyond a certain amount, but they thought it could, they thought it could go up, up much higher. So I started comparing that with insurance companies and insurance companies, well, they would guarantee you to a million or some of them to five million per need. And, uh, and so then as I really kind of began to, to, to feel this out, I began to think about, well, well, what if someone in our family has a major medical emergency like some of you in our congregation have had to deal with even recently? I mean, you get in the hospital for a couple of weeks and you're in hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we had had a son who was in neonatology, and so this wasn't like off the radar. Something could happen, and were we going to be covered? And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I began to realize, I think, that I've always just placed my trust for our, our physical well-being, my body's well-being, in insurance. I think, I think that we've trusted that if we got sick, there would be an insurance company and there would be insurance to take care of us. And it was like God slowly drew out of my heart this dawning realization, you don't trust me with your body or your wife's body or your kids' bodies. And I had to awkwardly, ashamedly acknowledge I didn't. It was the truth. I did not trust the Lord. Isn't that crazy? I say, I trust you to take care of my soul. My, I'm eternal. And I trust you to care for me through death and through the grave and into eternity. But I don't trust you with my body. But it was the truth. Now here's the thing. I would never have come to realize that had not this experience exposed my lack of distrust. That's what's happening this morning in this text. 
This man who approaches Jesus is having a lack of trust in God brought out into the light. He's having it exposed and he would never have known had he not come to Jesus and he says, Lord, what do I need to do to have eternal life? So he sees Jesus, he hears Jesus, he, he experiences Jesus bringing that life to bear on other people. He sees the fruit of Jesus' ministry. He can tell that God is at work in Jesus. And I want to warn you, it would be so easy for us to just throw this man under the bus and say, you know what, he's he 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 not really genuine in his approach to Jesus. He, he really just wants Jesus to rubber stamp him. You know, he's a leader and, uh, and he knows that God's with Jesus, but he's pretty sure of his own righteousness. I mean, he says, hey, all these things, I've done them all. Like, I've, I'm pure, I've kept the law, I go to church, I'm good, I do it all. And he really, what he really wants is Jesus to just say, you're on the right track, you've got it, you're taking care of yourself, you're doing the right things, keep going. It would be easy to kind of, to say he's, he wants Jesus to rubber stamp him. But you know what? Luke's not the only gospel that records this story. Matthew has it and Mark has it. And there's a couple of things in Mark's gospel that are really, I think, beautiful and important for us to notice. The first is this, that Mark starts out with a rich young ruler ran up to Jesus and fell at his feet and said, Lord, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you're rich, and you're a ruler, you've got power, you've got respect, falling on the ground in front of anybody is humiliating, and it's an act of deference, and it shows a heart that really wants to know, a heart that's genuine. Second thing is that Mark says that after he responded, Lord, I've done all these things, says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He loved him. Now Jesus loves us all, but I believe the reason that Mark says that at this point is because Jesus saw something in this man that he had compassion on. He saw genuine hunger in this man. So I believe this approach to Jesus Christ, Lord, what do I need to do to have eternal life, is really genuine. Which makes it all the more heartbreaking that he genuinely cannot say yes, that he's heartbroken over Jesus' requirements for receiving eternal life. What are Jesus' requirements? What does Jesus say are his requirements for receiving eternal life? Well, there's what he says to the man in this passage, but what does Jesus say elsewhere? If anybody wants to come after me, anyone wants to follow me, he must take up his cross daily. He must take up his cross and follow me cross as an instrument of death. And so let's just start by asking ourselves this morning, why would the God who comes to bring life, who in the Gospel of John says, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. That's why I'm here. Why would he say, anyone who comes after me must take up a cross? 
must die to something. Because the real Jesus Christ does not offer himself to us as an add-on. When Jesus says, come and follow me, which when a rabbi says that, that means come and be exactly like me. When Jesus says, come follow me, he doesn't mean, hey, if you follow me, it'll be your life plus me. It's the life you've got and you add Jesus on. The real Jesus Christ never offers himself as an add-on to anyone's life. When Jesus comes and he offers life, he offers an exchange. Lay down your life. In other words, release your control on your own life, your self-led life, including all its sins, idolatries, its many attempts to make your own heaven on earth, your own happiness, your own attempts to make peace with God on your own. Lay that down. Let go of that life, your life. Release control of it. And then I will fill you with me, with my life, my spirit. I'll produce my life in you, my life that's eternal in duration and in quality. Jesus always offers only an exchange. But here's the thing. This man coming to Jesus does not know where he does not trust God. He believes as he approaches Jesus that his trust is in God. He believes he's obeying the Lord with all his heart. He has no idea that in fact his trust is not in the Lord, but in his wealth. You know, we do this, you and I, we do this to the Lord. We want the eternal life that Jesus offers. Forgiveness of sins, yes, but more than that, the life that looks like Jesus's, that is free, that is resplendent with joy, that is full of peace, that is love, that knows itself deeply cared for, protected. We want life. We want all that Jesus offers and Oh, sometimes we too are unwilling, like this man, sad even, to release control over an area of our life to the Lord. But how can we know what that area is if the Lord doesn't expose it? How can we know if he doesn't show us? How, how would you and I know sitting here this morning whether All of our life is entrusted to the Lord's. Well, we might ask ourselves a few questions. We might say, is there any area of my life that I don't want Jesus to mess with? Like, I don't want him to start messing with my personal finances. I like them the way they are, just like this gentleman. I I don't want him to mess with my sexuality. I don't want him to mess with my spare time and my hobbies. I don't want him to 
tell me how to navigate relational conflict, relationships. Is there any area where Jesus is not welcome? Another way to ask that question would be to say, is there anything that Jesus could ask me to do that would make me very, very sad? Like this man? So for example, Jesus asks a young woman to shut down her Facebook account and um, rather than spending time on Facebook, spend her time in prayer for other people. And she goes away very, very sad because Facebook makes her feel special and connected and secure. And Jesus asks a middle-aged couple to empty their retirement account that they've been dutifully saving and to spend all those funds on a project that their church has felt undercalled to take. And they go away very, very sad because Jesus' request doesn't make any sense when compared with the worldly wisdom that they've been following. It's just irresponsible, Jesus. We don't understand it. And so they're very sad. Jesus asks someone to go out on the streets and begin praying, some Christian to go out on the streets and just begin praying for people. Very regular. Just make a regular habit of going and praying, asking if they can bless people, ask if they can pray for healing. And they go away very, very sad because all their friends are in nice churches with nice Bible studies that do nice things that don't make them feel uncomfortable like doing the things that Jesus did. Jesus asks a couple who are well past done having babies to adopt children. And they go away very sad because their nights are currently sleepful. And they don't have to deal with bottles and bedtime feedings and all the other colorful stuff that goes with having young children. Jesus asks a young woman to put aside her career plans and enter ministry with no promise of pay. And she goes away very sad because... Jesus asks, and Jesus asks, and Jesus asks, and Jesus asks, and are we listening to Jesus asking? Does Jesus even have our permission to ask things of us? Or do we so operate on autopilot about what our life is going to look like because of the way we've been shaped by this world and this culture and our own desires that Jesus doesn't even have permission to ask us. Jesus asks because Jesus wants to set us free from anything that holds a greater control in our life than God. That anything would be an idol. Anything that exerts more control in our life because Jesus wants to lead us into the fullness of his eternal life. And in this text, that eternal life seems to be talking about duration. Jesus says, in this age and the age to come, eternal life. 
But we know, Jesus says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know me, the one true God whom you sent. Jesus longs to draw each of us into the intimacy of knowing him. And in knowing him, he makes these requests of us because he longs to fill us with the experience of his life. You see, that life, it's not just a profession of faith. It's what we experience. Christ in us. Christ as our life. And as he, as he asks us of these things that seem like sacrifices, and some of which are, I think oftentimes we're like, we're like toddlers whose parents are saying to them, hey, I've got a toy. I've got a new toy for you. What's your name again? Joni. Can you hold that, Joni? Hey, Joni. I'm, I'm, so I'm Joni's dad. Hey, Joni, I've got a new toy for you. Oh, Joni's like, oh, a toy. Daddy, I want that. Oh, can I have it? And I say, yeah, you can have it. You just got to give me the thing that's in your hands. You got to open your hand. Can you give me those keys? Well, no, 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 no. Daddy, I want that toy. Yeah, but you, in order to get this toy, you've got to release your grip on that thing that's in your hands. You've got to let go on that thing that I'm asking for. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to let go of this. This makes me feel secure. I, I've only had this toy for the last 30 minutes. You know? If toddlers could think. What, what will my hand be like without this toy in it? I want them both. Can I have that one and then give you this one? No, I need you to trust me. I need you to give me that and then I'll give you this. I need you to trust me with everything. I need you to empty your hands, to empty yourself. Do you trust me? Do you really trust me? Thank you. He does this because He loves us. It's pure, 100% brilliant, loving grace that Jesus does not leave this man in his blindness. We don't know what the man ultimately decides. He goes away very sad now. But he goes away at least with the knowledge that there's something between him and and truly entrusting the entirety of his life to Jesus. Control and care. And Jesus comes to us this, this, this morning, and he does the same thing. But he comes with double grace. He comes not just to expose to us that there are things, whether our finances or our health or our relationships or whatever it is, that we're not letting him touch, that we aren't letting him have control over that we won't allow Him to do in our lives. He comes not just exposing that, but He comes to us through the, through the disciples and their plea, Oh, Jesus, who then can be saved? You know, they're surprised because they think the rich are the blessed, and if the rich can't be saved. And He comes and He says, Look, what's impossible with man is possible with God. We're not dealing with human realities alone. We're dealing with divine realities. When the Spirit of God works, anything's possible. Anything. And then he comes with this second bit of grace. 
Truly I tell you, anyone who's given up family, belongings, anything, for my name, for my kingdom, will receive much more in this age and in the age to come. And it's one thing to say, yeah, that sounds great. Thank you, Jesus. But it's an entirely different thing to hear the call of the Lord Jesus Christ on your life. And to say, Lord, what is it that you're asking from me? How may I join you in laying down my life, seeking your kingdom in this world? What does that look like? And when he shows you to step out open-handed and trust And so I want to end by sharing with you a story uh, of a woman who did just that. Her name is Katie Davis. And some of you will have heard of her. This is a book called Kisses from Katie, a story of relentless love and redemption. And I want to just read from the inside of the jacket cover. What would cause an 18-year-old senior class president and homecoming queen from Nashville, Tennessee, to disappoint her parents by forgoing college, break her little brother's heart, lose all but a handful of her friends because they think she's gone off the deep end, break up with the love of her life, all so she could move to Uganda, where she knew only one person and didn't speak the language. A passion to follow Jesus. Katie Davis left over Christmas break of her senior year for a short-term mission trip to Uganda and her life was turned completely inside out. She found herself so moved by the plight of the people of Uganda and the needs that she saw, she knew her calling was to return and to care for some of them. Katie, a charismatic and articulate young woman, is in the process of adopting 13 children in Uganda and has established a ministry, Amazima, that feeds and sends hundreds more to school while teaching them the word of Jesus Christ. She is currently a mom to those 13 kids, was by age 22. But she's more than that. She's also married She gave up the love of her life and had the Lord provide for her in that way. She leads a ministry that now has 64 employees a short 10 years later and is touching hundreds of thousands of people. Many of them orphans, AIDS orphans, because she said yes to Jesus when it looked foolish in the eyes of everybody else because she went with nothing but bare faith in the radical love and provision of God because she was willing to hold people and love them and cry with them when that was all that she had. She said yes. And because she said yes, because she took that initial step of faith, this fruit that is flowing out from her 
her life, one person's life. Now, hundreds, thousands of joined her and fruits flown out of their lives too, but one, one young 18-year-old woman's yes to Jesus is all it took to begin this move of God, this work of God. And if you asked her today, was it scary? Yes. Was it worth it? Was the Lord faithful? Has He provided more than you need? Yes. Yes. So let's end here today. Maybe you know clearly what Jesus Christ's call on your life is. Maybe you don't. If you don't yet, that's okay. The Bible says he's got good works prepared in advance for all of us to do as a response of love to him. But let's this morning say to the Lord Jesus, in all seriousness, not lightly, Lord, I I trust you. Kind of in the same way that when we forgive people, sometimes we do it first and then our feelings catch up. We do it as an act of obedience. Let's say to the Lord this morning, Lord, you are God and my life, all of it, every area is yours. I trust you. Do with it as you will. In whatever years I have left on this earth, do with it as you will. You can empty my retirement account. You can call me to adopt. You can call me into ministry. You can send me here. You can send me there. Jesus Whatever you ask, it's yours. And it will not make me sad, but it will make me happy to love and serve and obey you.